Reflections with Marilyn Baker. Brought to you by Torch Trust, the Christian organization with a vision for people with sight loss. Hello, and welcome to the May 2017 edition of the Reflections Monthly Podcast. I'm Grace Davis, and I'm the producer of Reflections Radio with Marilyn Baker. You'll find an entire month's worth of Reflections episodes for you to listen to here. On this edition, we speak with Jonathan Edwards about his family's decision to start fostering children in need, as well as his work with Prospects and Torch Trust. In recognition of Dementia Awareness Week, we hear from three people who have very different experiences with dementia. We also drop into the Wenlow School of Riding to find out all about the RDA, that's the Riding for the Disabled Association. And finally, we revisit Pat Dogs with Deborah Davis, a former Pat Dog owner who took her dog Jake into hospitals to visit patients in need of some comfort. Due to copyright issues, we have removed any music tracks other than Marilyn's own. So now, sit back, relax, and we hope you enjoy our show. Reflections with Marilyn Baker. Brought to you by Torch Trust, the Christian organization with a vision for people with sight loss. and a warm welcome to Reflections, the show from Torch Trust that focuses on faith and disability in today's world. I'm your host, Marilyn Baker, and I'll be with you for the next 15 minutes. On today's show, we've got a very special guest who you might have heard of from his work with Prospects, as well as his former role as Secretary for the Baptist Union of Great Britain. Reverend Jonathan Edwards has recently joined Torch Trust as a special advisor, and he'll be with us in the studio later to tell us a bit about the work he'll be doing with Torch, his own experiences of faith and disability, and what called he and his wife to start fostering children in need. Now, let's welcome Jonathan Edwards to the studio. Well, hello, Jonathan. Thanks for coming. Thanks for coming in. Nice to be with you. Um, Can you tell us a bit about your previous work with people with disabilities? Because I know you have been very involved with prospects. Absolutely. To be honest, it's been a life being involved with people with disabilities. Um, I was brought up in a church where, and I didn't see the significance of it at the time, but actually three of my youth leaders where people with significant disabilities, Mm. Um, people with huge ability. Um, One had cerebral palsy, one had congenital spina bifida, uh, one with Duchenne muscular dystrophy, um, and all of them died prematurely, but massively gifted people who loved Jesus. And so I was set off to a flyer, you know, a huge inspiration Mm. from these wonderful people who loved Jesus, and lived with disabilities, but really didn't let it get in the way. So I've had that sensitivity Mm. to people with disabilities from Mm. an early point. Yes, I love that myself, the fact that we don't let it get in the way, because I live with somebody who is, uh, you know, she has a severe hearing loss, but she never lets her disability get in the way either, and it's just fantastic. So... um, what have you been doing with Torch? Because you've come along to join us lately, haven't yes, you? Yes, indeed. Well, um, I've been a, a Baptist minister for 35 years. And during my ministry, I've had involvement with people with disabilities because that's part of life. Um, but I've come to know uh, prospects uh, over the last few years and to work with them. And actually through working with prospects, now part of livability, Um, I've got to know Torch better and better, and uh, that's been inspiring, Mm. and I've been appointed a special advisor to Torch to really help the charity to reflect on the way in which it engages with churches. Yes, it is important for us as an organisation of blind people to know how to engage with churches and get them interested, isn't it? Absolutely. Um, I think 
quite often, and I think it's true with people who are blind or with sight loss, uh, true with people with learning disabilities, true of most disabilities, that people who don't have the disability are actually quite scared yes. of what to say to people with disabilities. So I, I see part of my job to give courage to churches and to say people with disabilities are, before anything else, people. Uh, mm. People who God loves, people with joys, people with needs, people with abilities, people who can do things, people who want to be involved in the life of the church and to be given uh, a, a significant role in the life of the church. We're all part of that body of Christ, aren't we? So that's really fantastic. Now, you and your wife, you're fostering children, I believe. How long have you been doing that? Well, we're, we're very new to it. Uh, we only started last year. Mm, now, what motivated you to do that then? Um, a bossy daughter. Oh. I, think, I think it needs to go down to her. Um, Hannah, our eldest, is a social worker and she told us we ought to do it. And we uh, <laughs> thanked her very much and asked when she was going to go back home. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and she... She didn't forget it, and you know, the next time she visited, she mm. said, you have rung up about it, haven't you? Um, so to keep her quiet, we did ring up the local authority, and a social worker came round, and we, we just concluded there was no reason why not. And so we went through the very exhaustive uh, assessment process, uh, over 30 hours of interviews uh, we had with social workers before we past the line and so uh, last March we were joined by a little one. How lovely. She, she's part of life, she's part of the family and uh, they asked us in the autumn, the end of the autumn, whether we'd have her long term which was not in prospect when she arrived. We thought she was just with us for a short while but uh, we've agreed that we are willing to be her long term foster parents. Oh, that's amazing. Um, I think the training and all that, very important. But it makes you realise with 30 hours of interviews, yes. to be a foster parent, you have to be determined. Have you had difficulties? I mean, obviously this dear foster girl, she had to settle in with you. But, I mean, it is challenging, isn't oh, it? It has to be challenging. Uh, these days, the financial pressures on local authorities mean that they're only going to bring into care those who absolutely have to come into care. Um, so our little one came from a home that could not give her the protection and care that she needed. Um, so she, she came from a drug culture mm. um, and a situation in which she was used to police raids and she was used to fending for herself, um, in some senses was feral, um, and we brought her to, into a family with, with clear disciplines and where we had to tell her what was the difference between right and wrong, the difference between telling the truth and telling lies, and that we'd sit at table for our meals and that she'd be going to school every day, which was a complete surprise to her. Mm -hmm. Amazing. It's building up a child's trust when there's been such a break of that in their lives, isn't it? It's all about love. Mm. It, it's, it sounds like I'm going to break into song, doesn't it? But it, mm -hmm. it is all about love. Well, and, we wouldn't uh, mind if you did break into song, <laughs> You probably would. You know. um, but um, no, we, we've just come to love her and, and to see what a, a delightful little girl she is. And she is, she's a part of our family. We don't distinguish between her and, and the others. We have three of our own children um, who are grown up, but um, they're very much a part of our living daily family. And uh, our, our new little foster daughter is just part of the family. So you're definitely finding it rewarding then? Oh, it's wonderful. Mm. Ab a massive privilege. Mm. Do you feel that having a Christian faith has helped you with fostering then? undoubtedly can't think of life without our Christian faith um, but yeah it has been the thing that has given us a sense of direction and purpose I have to say in the early weeks it was a real struggle to have her I mean she seriously did not want to go to school uh, so she would inform us in the morning that she didn't want to go to school and we would inform her 
that she was going to school, and <laughs> that's how it was, mm. um, to have the strength for the difficult days, uh, the days when she absolutely didn't want mm. to be with us. Uh, you need to dig deep, and our Christian faith inspired us then as it does every day. Praying and talking to God about these things absolutely. helps such a lot, doesn't it? So, um, you know, how did you come to faith yourself? I mean... Yep. Is it a dramatic? Or? Uh, um, I, no, and I think for most people it isn't, to be honest. Um, for me, brought up in a Christian home, um, I was actually quite suspicious of Christians in my teens. I thought they always had a clever answer. Um, they, they always had a sort of slick answer to anything that happened in the world. Now, I was immediately suspicious of this. Um, then when I was 16, and I suppose this is the dramatic part... Um, a friend, a school friend of mine died in a road accident. Um, he and three of his friends oh were burnt up in a, in a terrible, terrible collision with a petrol tanker. And I suddenly realised I needed real answers for me. Um, whatever these, whatever I made of these Christian people and their slick answers, I needed a personal faith. And what happened then was I found Jesus, the person of Jesus, just totally compelling. I didn't find all that Christians said about him totally persuasive, but I found Jesus persuasive. And that's really the light that's guided me through the years. Uh, I follow Jesus. I'm a Jesus follower. Yes. Uh, and sometimes I don't find what the church or Christians say totally compelling but Jesus is compelling but you would definitely encourage listeners to investigate Jesus for to who meet Jesus. he is yes and when you feel let down by the church and the church often does let people down sadly but it's made up of human beings who who slip up and mm. are never 100% but Jesus is always 100% Jesus is always reliable well, now you've got an exciting new role at the moment. You're helping Torch. You've become an advisor for Torch, and they've got a five-year plan going. So what can we be looking to see what Torch will be up to in sure. the next five years? The, the great conviction we have is that we need to get alongside people, particularly people who are losing their sight. It, it's said that about 100 people a day learn that they are losing their sight, and that's about... 30,000 people a year. This is a bewildering time when people who've had a life with sight suddenly learn that they're losing their sight. We see this as an opportunity to befriend, to show the love of Jesus. And that is going to be one of the aspects uh, of what Torch does, uh, what we call presence, uh, journeying with those who are uh, going through this very difficult time. Mm -hmm. So Torch is a wonderful charity, and uh, I'm thrilled to be able to make a contribution to it. So that's a marvellous step that Torch is taking, and, of course, when people do lose something like sight, especially at the beginning, how important it is to be befriended, to have Absolutely. people who can support, because we hear about so many who have no support at yes. that beginning stage. They just yes. get the news, and Absolutely. there's such a sense of loss, and that's where friendship, support, and you know, knowledge of faith can be so helpful. Anyway, Jonathan, it's wonderful chatting to you, and I'm sure we're going to be hearing more from you in the future. It's always good uh, to talk to you, Marilyn. You. Well, I'm sad to say we're just about out of time for this week. If you'd like to learn more about anything you've heard on the show today or about any of the services Torch has to offer for people with sight loss, then please do get in touch. We serve people across the UK and further afield, and we'd love to hear from you. The number to call is 0333 123 1255 or you can email info at torchtrust.org. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter. Just search for Torch Trust. Until next time, from me, Marilyn and everyone on the Reflections team, goodbye and God bless. Reflections from Torch Trust. Reflections with Marilyn Baker Brought to you by Torch Trust
the Christian organization with a vision for people with sight loss. Hello, and a warm welcome to Reflections, the show from Torch Trust that focuses on faith and disability in today's world. I'm Grace Davis. I'm the producer of Reflections, and today I'll also be standing in for our usual host, Marilyn Baker. Today marks the beginning of National Dementia Awareness Week. In recognition of this, we decided to take a look at three very different experiences of people who have been affected in some way by this illness. Our first guest is Carol Eden, a trustee of Torch and a Dementia Friends champion. Carol cared for her husband throughout his dementia, and here she talks about getting used to what this meant for both of them. I guess like most of us, you didn't know very much about dementia before it all happened. Oh no, I I was really scared. And to be honest, like many people, I avoided talking to people with dementia because I didn't know what to say, I didn't know how they would react. Um, But when, when it became part of my life, I did everything I could to learn about dementia. I got all the fact sheets I could from Alzheimer's Society... And uh, I did my best to help Pete in every way I could. And God was very good to us because for the rest of our life together, Peter was not a patient to me. He was still my husband and lover and friend. So what would you say was the most helpful thing that you learned while you were going through this journey with Pete? Um, Firstly, I learned to be angry with the disease, but not with Peter. If Peter's behaviour was peculiar, or if he kept repeating things, I accepted that this was a disease and not in any way something Peter could help or avoid. And that gave me freedom to get ratty with the disease without in any way feeling bad towards Pete. Did you ever find that, you know, the, the whole thing tried your patience a bit, though? I did, I did, but it really helped me to remember that it's a disease we're dealing with. Mm. Another thing I learned, which was very, very important, was not to argue the toss. Mm. People with dementia will often uh, get hold of something which may, may or may not be true. It's the way they see things. And you can't really stop that. Um, and there's no point whatsoever in arguing and trying to say, no, 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 you're not right, it's not like that, it's like this, Mm. because they can't handle it. Can you think of an example of that happening? Uh, Well, yes. Uh, One night, Pete got me up to take him to the toilet, and um, when we got there, I realised I needed it myself. Oh, dear. (laughs) Oh, yes. So I said, "Um, Treasure, would you hurry up, please, because I'm busting too. And he said... No, no, it's okay, my pet. It's perfectly all right. If you come out of this bathroom and turn to your left, there is another loo, just on the left. Um, And I realised that actually Peter was thinking about the house where he visited me, where I lived, uh, before we were married. Mm, Where there were two toilets. Where there were two toilets, one on the left of a bathroom. Mm. Mm. So I suppose you just had to hang on in there until you could get in. Well, no, I didn't. I didn't. I told the truth. I said, Pete, all the toilets here are occupied, so please will you hurry up? Even though there was only one toilet, which was occupied. (laughs) Yeah. It worked. So you got over that. Yes, I did. Next, we'll be hearing from Steve Kendall, who, along with his wife, set up several fantastic ways of supporting people with dementia and their carers, friends and family. What my dad's partner was saying was, we have nowhere where we can go together. We've done things together for most of our lives. And that wasn't available in Market Harborough. So really they were asking for a safe environment where they could do something different outside the house. Exactly. My wife and I decided that we'd better go out and talk to a few people, uh, find out whether there are carers out there who might feel the same as my dad uh, or my dad's carer. And um, people came back and said, yeah, that sounds like a really good idea. And if you could put that on, we'd turn up. So how did you put it on? 
it's quite interesting. We spent two months searching around, having a look at places. You know, where can you put a dementia cafe on? What does a dementia cafe actually mean? It's somewhere where people can come together. It's somewhere where they have a cup of tea, cup of coffee. We call it coffee, conversation and companionship. And that's really what it's all about. The first week, we, what we said was we'd, we'd fund three events, three monthly events. Mm-hmm. Um, the first one we got 15 turn up to and we thought, hey, that's not bad. Uh, we advertised it locally. We did a whole load of stuff to, to let people know it was on. Second one, we got nearly 30. And by the third one, uh, we were in a very small room and we had 55 people in a room. <laughs> uh, and that was carers uh, and people with dementia. And already there was a real buzz in the place. Uh, so we asked whether or not people would be prepared to come forward and help us run this. And we got nine people come forward. Uh, and from then on, we've been putting on a dementia cafe every uh, third Thursday. Uh, it became so popular that we just simply couldn't fit into the original room. Um, but we maintain 35 to 40 people coming along. What we have also done is to put something called a Singing for Memories group together. Uh, where we have many, many more than uh, than 35. Uh, we're regularly getting 50 to 60 people along. Um, and that's not exclusively for people with dementia uh, or their carers. We're now getting uh, some of the care homes locally actually bringing uh, small minibuses, but we're getting busloads. So, Steve, why do you think singing is so important? I think, I mean, I always say that if, if you think back to the days when, for those of you who are married or those of you who are, uh, you know, living with somebody, when you first started courting, you will remember those songs that were about at that time. Mm. Um, with uh, dementia, I describe dementia as being a bit like a bucket, And basically what you've got is a bucket full of memories. And as life goes by, you are filling that bucket with memories. And you get to a certain point and a certain age when, uh, with the condition, that bucket starts to overflow. And the only thing that you can remember clearly are those things from very early days, from the days when you were courting and the days when you were a teenager and all those kinds of, uh, you know, all that, that sort of era of your life. Our last guest today is Dr Trevor Adams, an expert in the field of dementia who also had a close family member with the condition. I remember the first time I saw my mother in the the dementia unit and I looked at her and I cried. I don't cry all that often, but I cried. And I didn't see my mother, my 60-odd-year-old mother. I saw a girl who she told me she once was who liked Rupert books and they contradiction between seeing my mother then and now was very upsetting Mm. and also I thought about all the bad things I'd said I felt very guilty Um, and I was rebuking myself and I didn't have a sense of peace about all the the bad things I'd said and I suppose many people would say I was a good son but then again, uh, even good sons do things that they later regret. What does society need to know? I would say that, you see, I'm a Christian. And I believe that God loves us. God loves us beyond any uh, extent that God loves us more than we ever know. And never will know, but God loves us. And he loves us all, whether we are a film star, fit and able, whether we're Einstein, really bright, really intelligent, or whether we've got something that isn't complete in us, like having dementia. Has your faith helped you to deal with the guilt that you felt that you've just described? I think my faith has changed in the sense that um, I now am more aware not of myself as as somebody who's a, a bad person, as a wrong person, but as somebody who God loves just as much as he loves, loved my mother, or loves my mother. And that has helped me 
understand that it's made me accept myself more. And I think over the years, um, I've learned that bad stuff does happen. But in the midst of bad stuff, there is a God of love that will help us through our journey, through our, our life. And so I don't rebuke myself now. Well, we're about out of time for today. If you're affected by the issues on today's show, or if you'd like to learn more about how to help, you can visit Dementia Friends at dementiafriends.org.uk or if you have an urgent query, call 0300-222-5855. You can contact the UK Alzheimer's Society at alzheimers.org.uk or call them on 0300-222-1122. Also, if you'd like to learn more about anything you've heard on our show or if you have a comment, suggestion or song request for us, then please do get in touch. You can call us free on 0333 123 1255 or email info at torchtrust.org. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter by searching for Torch Trust. We'll be back at the same time next week. But until then, from me, Grace, and everyone on the Reflections team, goodbye and God bless. Reflections from Torch Trust. Reflections with Marilyn Baker. Brought to you by Torch Trust, the Christian organization with a vision for people with sight loss. Hello and welcome to Reflections from Torch Trust, the show that focuses on faith and disability in today's world. I'm your host, Marilyn Baker and I'll be with you for the next 15 minutes. Here on the Reflections team, we always love to learn about different ways that activities can be made truly accessible. And the RDA are an organisation who are focused on just that. RDA stands for Riding for the Disabled Association. Their riding schools can be found around the country, and they all have one aim in common to enable people, whatever their disability, to learn how to ride and care for horses. Our producer, Grace Davis, volunteers at a local riding for the disabled school. So she asked them if they'd tell us a little more about what they do. Here's the Wenlo RDA School. I'm here with Alice, who both works at the yard and volunteers for the RDA. Um, How long have you been here now, Alice? Going on four years. Yeah, I started when I started my undergrad degree at Loughborough and I'm still here now. Progressively volunteered more and more over those four years. Mm. So what do you actually do here? So when I'm working, I'm normally the first one in the yard feeding horses, getting everything ready, sorting equipment, sorting stables. And then when lessons start, I'm normally the one that volunteers come and talk to to ask what ponies are being used, what tack do we need, who needs groomed. Um, sort of guiding the volunteers what to do and then when I'm volunteering myself that's generally when I get involved in lessons where we sort of assist the riders when they're riding helping them get on and off being that person that they can talk to when the instructors maybe got a group on they need a little bit of one-to-one help that kind of stuff (laughs) yeah so it's very varied isn't it I mean you have to know a lot of yes I'm still working on getting everything done on time, getting everything perfected, even after four years of being here. There's also always something new to learn, yeah. um, either about the horses or about the riders, because yeah. there's all sorts of people coming in and out anyway. There's never the same person that needs the same treatment two days in a row sort of thing. So you're always learning um, new requirements and new needs of riders and mm. horses, in fact, as well. Mm. So there's there's a lot of children with lots of different abilities and lots of different yeah. needs. Um, how do you sort of tailor your work? Um, well, each RDA rider sort of has an assessment before they have their lessons. Dawn will have um, a laydown of what they need. She'll find out both from parents, guardians, carers and riders themselves. Um, so they get to personalise what they 
what they think they need. And then Dawn, after all her experience, the head coach will um, sort of say, all right, okay, this, this rider needs this this sort of assistance, this rider needs this sort of horse. So then the volunteers are just there to listen, to almost take orders from Dawn, and then when riders have been riding for long enough, they can take on that role themselves. And you just have to learn um, what those initial needs are of the riders. Um, yeah, it does very, very much. So some, some they just need sort of a boost of self-esteem, whereas some just need someone to actually hold on to them whilst they're riding. So um, even the volunteers vary. Some some are very people volunteers and they'll help keep riders calm and they'll help riders enjoy their lessons, whereas some are very, um, right, stirrups need to be this length. We need this horse. We need the reins this length. So we need all types of volunteers and that's why it's such a varied job as well. You need to adapt yourself to what you're doing and who you're helping. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. Well, it is, isn't there? Yeah. There's children with some children with complex needs as well. Yeah. So they might. Yes. Yeah. They might have a number of different conditions. Yes. Comorbidities aren't rare. It's often, um, if they've got an issue about confidence, it's because of a disability that they've got. Um, that kind of stuff. So that's why people need to. You know, you learn so much about them on your initial meeting, mm. and then that gradually you learn more and more and more. Um. And that's how you, that's how when the kid's confident, you you know that you can see that when they're growing as well. So you just, just no lessons the same between the two as well. <laughs> mm. I think it does the children good in in different ways in terms of like being with animals. And... Absolutely, I love the group lessons the best. Um, there's one rider that we've got who's recently been put onto a group lesson, having had years of private lessons, and you can even see how much he's in, improved because he gets to see all the other idea riders, and he off he. He boosts himself because he can look around and compare himself to everyone and he thinks, oh, I'm as good as these guys. So, yeah, absolutely. It's not only helping his disability, it's helping his emotional needs, his behavioural confidence sort of thing as well. Mm. It's fab. <laughs> yeah, brilliant. So, I mean, if someone's listening and think that, uh, thinks that their child might like to do this, how can they get involved? Um, we have got websites. We've got Dawn's Meadow School of Riding website, which I think has a little bit of a link to contact details about RDA. However, Wenlaw have their own website. So they're really good. And then there's lots of contact details, numbers, emails, if you like. And there'll always be volunteers that you can speak to at the yard. We can take your details. We'll ring you back. Um, that's both our riders and volunteers. The, there's a bit of a procedure to go through if you want to volunteers to do with... Um, CRB checks and that kind of stuff but we make it as easy as possible for people to volunteer because we're always looking for them we don't want to put them off straight away <laughs> um so yeah phoning's maybe the best emailing if you're not wanting to do it immediately you just want a bit of information with leaflets even if you just do want to pop up I would suggest making an appointment because you never know how busy we're going to be and how many volunteers we've got spare to show you around. Mm. But yeah, okay. <laughs> we do make it very easy. Yeah, and we definitely need people. Yeah, so. <laughs> that's right. All the time, yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. Thank you very much. I'm with Shirley, who is Harry's support worker. Harry's just had his riding lesson today, and I think it went pretty well, didn't it? Yeah, it went ever so well. He was smiling, and he's very calm in himself, mm. which is nice. So Harry has sight loss, doesn't he? Yes, he does have sight loss, and he also has severe epilepsy and other medical needs as well. Mm. Um, he's too peg-fed, right. very gastro um, uh, He's on a special ketogenic diet, which means he cannot have any food or orally due to his epilepsy. They're trying to use this diet to control the seizures. Oh, right. And um, so far, so that's his happy sound. So, so far, so good. Good. So, we're only having seizures once or twice a day at the minute. But, oh, um, yeah, so that's, not, that's less yeah. than, than it was before. Uh -huh, yes. a lot more, didn't it? Yeah. 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 Oh, good. So, so what made you want to bring Harry riding? We do ride the school that Harry goes to. They do do riding for the disabled. <coughs> but when we inquired with them, they didn't want to take Harry privately because of his epilepsy, 
and mm. when I rang mm. round quite a few, Dawn was the only lady, even though we have to travel an hour, mm. um, uh, who was said, no, nothing's a problem, come along. And we've been coming for quite a few weeks mm. now, and uh, we're really seeing the benefits. Yeah, he's loving it, isn't he? Yes. Yeah. So, so what benefits have you seen? The calmness, he's very calm. He's a very... Um, lots of smiles when we get out the car to come to horse riding we come into the boot room to change that and he's letting me Harry's very tactile defensive so he's letting me do things that he doesn't normally do mm. um, he's, he sort of runs along the side of the um, the place where you do your riding mm. to get to the um, horses and when the horses make a noise Harry does turn his head to the horse mm. so yes he seems very happy and contented yeah, he, does, he does seem you know, calm on the yeah. horses he seems very happy with them yeah. brilliant, well I'm, I'm glad you had a good day Harry and we're glad you're here riding with us yes, thank you well that does sound like fun and now Grace is with us in the studio to tell us more about why she volunteers so, Grace, what made you want to volunteer there? Well, I've always loved horses. Um, I haven't done riding for quite a long time since I was a child. And also, my aunt used to do riding for the disabled, and that was sort of something we had in common. We both loved horses. Um, she died when I was very little, but I've, I've got one of her rosettes that she won for riding for the disabled. Oh, fantastic. I, I used to be part of a pony club when I was at school, but it trod on my toe. Oh, no. And, and I gave up. Oh. Anyway, uh, why, why is volunteering important to you? Well, I just think that it is really good to try to give something back to the community. And I think as a Christian... I think there should be at least a big emphasis on doing things like this. Um, I, I do believe that that is something that was important to Jesus. He he is, you know, very he servant-hearted. Served. Yes, yes. He, yes, served. He did serve a lot of uh, a lot of people, and of course, it brings a lot of joy to people who wouldn't normally perhaps get out and do a lot. Exactly. Yes, I think for some of the people that do it, it's it's the one time they they get to be in the fresh air. They get to be. Um, doing something that makes them feel more independent um, because none of it is done to humour the riders. It is all genuine learning, genuine teaching and stretching people to do as much as they can. And, and wonderful interaction with the horses. I think that's a good thing too, learning to look after them mm. and all that. I think that's a very good thing for people. I think it's it kind of combines lots of different types of therapy. It's physical, it's mental and it's just being with animals. It's very peaceful um, it can be quite spiritual in a way, I think, just this sort of connection with other creatures out in the countryside. It's really beautiful. Yeah. Well, sounds like Grace really enjoys herself at the riding school. And that brings us to the end of our show today. We hope you've enjoyed listening. And if you'd like to find out more about Riding for the Disabled, just visit their website, rda.org.uk. Or you could telephone... 01926-492-915 Or if you'd like to leave us a comment about the show or request a song, don't hesitate to get in touch. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter by searching for Torch Trust or on Facebook only, Reflections from Torch Trust. And you can email us on info at torchtrust.org. You can also call us on 0333 123 1255. Until next time, from me, Marilyn and everyone on the Reflections team, goodbye and God bless. Reflections from Torch Trust. Reflections with Marilyn Baker Brought to you by Torch Trust The Christian organisation with a vision for people with sight loss Hello and a very warm welcome to this week's Reflections The show from Torch Trust that focuses on faith and disability I'm your host Marilyn Baker And I'll be with you for the next quarter of an hour in the UK alone, there are an estimated 22 million volunteers who every year 
give up their time for a myriad of different causes. Perhaps some of you are volunteers yourselves, but there are around 4,500 regular volunteers that you may not have heard much about, and they're all animals. Petzer's therapy began in 1983 and was started as a way to bring companionship, simple joy and a change of focus to people who are unable to otherwise interact with animals. Most of these are hospital patients, but Pat also visits hospices, special needs schools and a variety of other venues. And today I'm delighted to be able to welcome Deborah Davis to the programme. Deborah is the owner of Jake, a retired pat dog, and she's here to tell us all about the work they did together. Well, it's lovely to have you with us, Deborah. And I want to ask you, how did you get involved with pet therapy? How did you hear about it? Uh, well, I read a magazine article. Uh, I can't remember the magazine, but it described a, a typical visit, and I thought it was a lovely way to do some volunteering and include the dog. So did you have a dog at the time that you felt you'd be able to use? Yes, we'd already got a dog. How did you get your dog in the first place? Uh, well, where we lived in Glenfield, we kept seeing everyone walking by our window with dogs going to the park, and we'd never had a dog before. And we thought, oh, that would be really good. It would make us all go out as a family. So we got uh, in touch with East Midlands Dog Rescue, and we put our names down for a puppy. And then they rang us up in one summer holiday and we went to see these puppies, but they were only six weeks old. The person fostering them couldn't look after them anymore, so we had him from six weeks old, which was quite a shock, seeing as we never had a dog before and we didn't really know what we were doing. But the first few nights we actually slept on the floor with him at home because he cried so much. Oh gosh, we, he was we a didn't bit know how to yeah, settle him. So oh, right, yeah. but being a rescue dog, um, yes, I suppose because you had him from a very young age, it was okay. Yeah, dogs have to be safe to work with vulnerable people. How do they determine that? Well, you have to go through an assessment. Uh, I rang the pet dog people and they sent a local coordinator to visit us and they give you and the dog a temperament and health assessment uh, because they're really testing you and the dog. Well, you have to be tested as well, then? I think so. They don't actually say it, but everything points to that. Uh, what you, kind of things are they looking for? Well, you have to be able to control your dog, uh, holding it on the lead whilst you talk to the assessor because this is what would happen in a visit at a hospital or a school, uh, and they need to know that you're in complete control. And then you have to groom your dog, which, again, demonstrates control, and it has to be really happy to be stroked and touched. And they, obviously they've got to be fit and clean and healthy. And calm, perhaps, very calm. Yes, yes, and Jake, Jake's a really calm dog. Then the assessor watches you walk with the dog on the lead just to see that the dog's happy to be walked around. Um, and then the assessor will stroke them and check their ears and the paws and their tail and have a good feel all over the dog, really. To see how the dog reacts as well. Yes, yes, and, and a lot of it is based on how you react. If you're nervous, the dog picks up on it. And then the big test is about whether the dog will respond to a noise. So the assessor gets a tin tray and really throws it with all her might on the floor to see if the dog reacts. But if you don't react, your dog won't. So I just carried on talking and, and Jake was quite happy. It's interesting but how animals pick up on your mood. It is. If you're afraid, yes, yeah. the dog can become afraid. Definitely, mm. yes. So they, they do take the cues from you and that's really why they're sort of assessing you as well as the dog. Mm. But, of course, pets help people relax. I never forget when I went into a prison uh, to sing. They didn't keep me in. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I had my guide dog and then they allowed the guide dog in. I don't know if they always do now, but um, it was an open prison. And I had to feed the dog because it was time for the feeding. The men absolutely loved it. Mm. Just the ordinariness of seeing the dog being fed. I it think was... that's part of it, the ordinariness for people that have not got access to animals. Yes, people who are kind of lonely or, yeah. or kind of, you know, missing company or missing mm. their dog. Now, can you tell us about a typical visit? Um, did you have a particular 
ward or place that you went to with the dog? Yes, it, well, uh, we had two wards uh, at Glenfield Hospital. Uh, they were generally old people's. Most of the people had Alzheimer's, uh, so they didn't always remember from one week to the next. But on a typical visit, first of all, Jake would have to have his special collar and lead so that he knew he was going to work. And on his collar, he's got a little picture of himself, like an ID tag. And to put that on him, he knew then that something different was going to happen. <laughs> and then I'd take him armed with lots of food, lots of treats, which kept him very happy. No wonder he liked going. <laughs> he did, he did, yeah. It wasn't really like work for him, but he knew it was different. Uh, and then we would go be introduced to people on the ward and ask them if they'd like to meet Jake or just to stroke him. Some some people would chat, but, but not very often. They were very interested in the dog, uh, and they enjoyed sort of feeling him and stroking him because he's got very long hair. So yeah. you saw people positively responding to oh, Jake. Did, yes. they, did they kind of relax yeah. in his company? Um, brought lots of smiles or memories back, even. For well, some. their faces lit up to to see him and and even just touch him. There were some people, elderly people, that didn't want to talk, but but quite a few of them reminisced, and it was really interesting hearing the stories. One particular lady used to be a Romany as a child, and she's the one that really stays in my mind. Um, she was, I think, well into her 80s and she was immediately stroking the dog, took her back to being eight or nine and she talked about how they used to race the horse and carts along the lanes of Leicestershire and the dogs would run alongside and, oh, she was just over the moon just to have her hands on her dog again. Mm. Yes, helping people relax. Yes, Enjoying definitely. a dog. It's wonderful how God has made dogs to be able to do such incredible things. I mean, dogs are used for such wonderful work now. Guide dogs we know about, even being able to smell cancer or tell if someone's going to um, have a fit. And I even heard that they're using dogs now to tell if someone is going to have um, a hyper... Um, experience in diabetes. Yes, it's amazing. It's amazing it? what a dog can do. And it's it's the companionship of a dog, isn't it? The love of a dog. Do you think yeah. it's about the unconditional love of an animal? They, they don't judge. They don't, uh, you know, they, they're always there for you, aren't they? They are, and they're very sensitive as well. I think mm. much more than people give them credit for. That's right. Now, you've stopped doing this now, haven't you? I yes, mean, I have. How old is Jake? Well, he's 14 and a half now, and oh. he has a, a touch of arthritis, so uh, he's not very keen to walk. But No, so he's enjoying his retirement, is he? Oh, he is. He's, he's loving it. He, he likes to lie by the fire, stretch out with the cats around him. Oh, he likes uh, cats too. Only the two that we've got. He doesn't like any others. But, uh... Do you know the thing that amazed me when I was thinking and reading about uh, pat therapy is that cats are used. 108 cats are being used at the moment. I can't imagine a cat doing it. I mean, mm. cats don't really like travel, do they? No, I think you'd have to get one from a kitten. I did think about it and it was something I would have liked to have done, but you have to get them so early and be able to put them on a lead and walk them. So it's quite intensive, the training. Very amazing, isn't it? it but is. cats are lovely too. But they're quite independent. So you have to have a cat that doesn't mind kind of being told what to do and, and, and being put into a certain place at a certain time, which just isn't usually a cat's character, is uh, no, it? No, you'd have to find one with the right temperament, you I think. You certainly would, yeah. So what would you say you most enjoyed about doing pat dog work? Well, I think noticing the people's reactions to Jake, uh, hearing the stories and, and the reminiscences, and, and also an extra benefit was the staff. The staff at the hospital absolutely adored him. As soon as we went in, they they sort of had a visit with him before he even went on to the ward. So I think it helped them a lot, sort of mm. normalised what they were doing day to day. Well, I think they're doing an amazing job. Oh, they are. So did you have the idea of making him a pat dog at the beginning or did he do other things? Uh, well, when we first got him, we just thought this is good as a family will go out for walks. But as he got older, he was such a handsome dog. He's a bearded collie cross and he's cream and tan. And his hair, when it's at its longest, is about seven to eight inches long, and very silky. So people loved to touch him. And wherever we went, people would come up to us. 
Um, and that's sort of what put the idea in my mind to, to do something with him on a voluntary basis. Um, so that's sort of where that came from. But also along the, the way, we decided he was such a handsome boy that we'd enter him in a few competitions. Great. So he went into some shows then? He did local ones on Abbey Park and at the RSPCA in Leicester and in various villages. So what category uh, was he in, Mike? Well, his biggest prize of all was uh, the one he won at the RSPCA in the dog rescue category. He won the, the dog that the judge would most like to take home. Mm-hmm. And then he was uh, the winner of all the winners out of the whole competition and we were sent as a, the rescue dog winners from our region to Shrewsbury to enter a national competition, which he didn't win, but, but he enjoyed the experience. I'm he, sure he did. We We actually had to stay in a hotel with him overnight, which was nice for us, but not so good for the people in the rooms next door. Well, he was barking, was he? Well, he heard a creak on the stairs at one in the morning and he woke up and went absolutely berserk, man round the room barking. I see. Mm. <laughs> and that, that was after sort of embarrassing himself in the reception area. When we uh, went down to book in, the lady on reception actually tapped the table and we'd been taking Jake to dog training... One of the responses was he tapped the table and he jumped up on the table and he jumped up on the reception. <laughs> <laughs> so he, when, he, when he heard the tap, he thought he had to jump. He, that was yes, his command. Yes, he did, he did. Can anybody who has a dog get involved? Uh, yes, there's a, a good website for pets as therapy. Uh, if you go on the website, it will tell you the criteria and then it will give you all the information about the assessment test. You, you actually have to have owned the dog for nine months. and The dog has to be at least six months old and fully trained before you can start. But then the assessment happens fairly quickly and you take it from there, really. Um, I'd say the, the website's really good because I was looking myself in preparation just to remind myself and it did say that at the moment there are four and a half thousand active pet dogs and they're also involved in the new programme Read to Dogs that they take into schools where children are much more relaxed reading to a dog than a teacher. Read uh, to a dog? That's yes, very interesting. Yes. So it, it's helping the children to relax and they forget the teacher's there. Uh, and it's improving their reading. So people could do that if they didn't want to do visiting. You never know what the dogs are learning either. Well, you never do. <laughs> Good point. It's been great talking to you, and we really hope that Jake continues to enjoy his retirement. Thank you. I've enjoyed being here. If you'd like to find out more about Pets as Therapy, why not visit their website, petsastherapy.org, or email them, reception at petsastherapy.org. And don't forget, you can get in touch with us via our website, torchtrust.org, or by telephoning 0333 123 1255. That's 0333 123 1255. That's also the number to call if you'd like information about any of the Christian services and resources that Torch Trust provides to people with sight loss. You can also visit our Facebook page, Reflections from Torch Trust, or our brand new Twitter feed, at Torch Trust. We love to hear from our listeners, so tell us what you think. That's all we have time for on today's show. Thank you very much for listening, and we hope you've enjoyed it. So from me and the rest of the Reflections team, goodbye and God bless. Reflections from Torch Trust. Torch Trust.